Stand together as we read God's Word this morning out of Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. And we're kind of stepping in, in midstream here of, of Paul's uh, talking about uh, God's love for us. And he has just talked about in verse 36 uh, that God's people are seen as sheep that are led to the slaughter, uh, that we're, we're suffering trials and tribulations. And so he's, he's kind of responding out of that and starting in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of God may be seated. Well, good morning. So it's not normal in uh, churches in the PCA that we have sermons on uh, that cover topics like demons and UFOs and ghosts. Uh, perhaps it should be, but it's not. But I'm grateful that we are a part of a, a church here at Evergreen where we just preach through the scriptures. We go from one verse to the next verse, and we take what's in the next verse seriously as a as a gift from the Lord to us on what he would have us meditate upon and consider. And I think this verse by verse, section by section way of preaching is very important. There are, I was raised in uh, the deep deep south in rural Mississippi, Jefferson Davis County uh, in, in rural Mississippi. And because of the culture in the deep south, there are many topics that you just can't preach on. Uh, I found myself being almost forced to leave Mississippi uh, if I was going to remain in the ministry, because if you were preaching through a text and something related to racism or something in that area was in the text, you couldn't preach on that. The, the church wouldn't allow it. I remember one Sunday evening, I was, uh, I was 18 years old and the pastor was out. And in the Baptist tradition, they let you preach when you're younger um, and uh, I was asked to preach on Sunday evening, and I preached the most basic thing I could figure out to preach, the passage that said we were supposed to love one another in, from First John. And I talked about the implications of loving one another and how Jesus loved us, and it was real basic stuff because that was all I was capable of. And at the end of the sermon, uh, a couple of deacons and a couple of my kinfolk who were in the church come walking down the aisle, and that's not what you want to see at the end of your sermon. And their first question to me was, are you saying that our white daughters have to marry black men? Now, I didn't say a word about that. I didn't say one word about any issue surrounding that. But nevertheless, here we were having a conversation about that issue because I had preached on the importance of Christians loving each other. 
Well, I'm grateful that we're in a church and in a culture here where there's not all these minefields. There's not all these things that if you come to it in the text, you just can't talk about it. And if you do, you're in big trouble. I'm so grateful for that. Today isn't so much of a minefield as it's just weird. It's just unusual that we come to things like this in the text. And it's so unusual that as we usually read it, we tend to just summarize it. We instantaneously translate it into something that appeals to us. Look at the text again. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. And I am sure that Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's generally the way we interact with that text. That's the way it's preached. And, and praise the Lord, there's nothing wrong with that, except that it misses what Paul is talking about. Paul is, is in the book of Romans here talking about a gospel of grace that we are saved by faith in the redemptive promises of Christ. And his promises are, I have done all the good works necessary to satisfy my heavenly father by my deeds of righteousness, by my life, by my death, by my resurrection. And you can't do enough to ever satisfy the father. But if you trust in me to be your mediator, to stand up for you before the good, holy judge, my father, if you will trust me to do that, you can be saved. That's Jesus's message that Paul is preaching here. And it was in contrast to the message of the Jews at that time, who though they had the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, particularly Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, was pretty clear you were saved by faith in God's promises. But through the years, they had become very culturally Christian. <laughs> and in the phrase that we would use, they had very, become very culturally religious. So that in order to be someone who pleased God, you had to be culturally Jewish and do Jewish things in order to please God. It wasn't just having faith in the promises of God to send a Messiah King who would rescue us, but it was and all these other things. And so as Paul is answering these unsaid objections to the gospel of grace, he gets another objection that's in the background that we don't hear, but that he answers. And here it is. Paul, all this gospel of grace stuff sounds real nice until you face a demon face to face. And then it won't be about grace, Paul. It'll be about you using the time-honored traditions of Jewish exorcism that have proven to work that casts out these demons. And at that point, you'll be forced to admit, Paul, that really this new Christianity that you want to do, that's somehow separate from Judaism, it actually doesn't work when the rubber hits the road, Paul. 
when you're faced with demons and deadly supernatural threats to you and your family and your church, you're going to come crawling back to us. You're going to come back to Judaism to get the ability to deal with this. And at that point, you're going to have to admit that really this new faith you've got has to have the cooperation and the help of ancient Judaism to really work. So at this point, Paul is making a statement that absolutely no, that's not what I'm saying. And when I do meet a demon face to face, I don't need a Jewish exorcist to help me out. Let me explain why. A past mission professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Some of you guys have met him and his family, Paul Long. He tells a story in his uh, uh, big book on missions that he wrote that's really good. I can't remember the name of it right now. He tells a story in there about traveling to a village in Africa. And he and his group had been warned that demonic power was especially strong in that area, and they should be prepared for it. But he and his friends thought, we're Reformed and Presbyterian. What do we have to worry about, right? We believe in the sovereignty of God and, and, and all that stuff. So they arrive, and they come up to this clearing, and they get ready to go into this tribal area, and all of a sudden, they're, and they're talking about what they're going to do in this, uh, this mission. We're going to go in there and preach the gospel, and then you're going to do this, and, you're gonna, and all of a sudden, they stop being able to speak. It's like they've got a frog in their throat, and they can't talk. And they're looking at each other, and they're like, this isn't, this isn't what they taught me in seminary. And so they back up. They basically just kind <clears> of <throat> back up, and they get a distance away, and they can talk again. They pray, and then they, then they come to their senses. They begin to pray and ask for God's protection as they move forward, and then they're able to move forward into this tribal situation and share the gospel and see fruit from that. I've worked with a, a missions organization, Equipping Pastors International, and uh, some of those missionaries have told me stories about going into certain areas, not just in Africa, but India, where they would find themselves suffering flu-like symptoms instantly. But as soon as they left the area, physically left, like a, an area the size of this building, as soon as they left it and got out of the range of whatever it was, all of a sudden they felt better. They felt fine. They were able to go on and do ministry, and it, it wasn't a problem. I've also personally experienced some instances that I've identified as demonic attack, sometimes it's hard to, it's, it's really hard to tell this stuff. So I, I trust these guys' testimony more than I do my own because of the problem of subjectivity, you know. But, uh, but I had a couple of instances where one, I was ministering in uh, downtown Jackson, Mississippi in a park. And we were doing this normal ministry where you would set up a, a little sound system and you would sing a song, a crowd would gather, then someone would preach, then people would be circulating through the crowd talking to people while you did that. Normal stuff. 
And this homeless guy, or someone I identified as homeless, came and took the microphone from me while I was singing uh, this song called Tomorrow. Uh, and he took the microphone from me and started singing along with my accompaniment track. But he wasn't using normal words, and I couldn't really understand what he was doing. It was just really weird. And I, but I just thought, here's a weird homeless guy. Eh. I thought I didn't think that was weird until this person. We later discovered the next day, numerous people on our team had had dreams that night of that, of that guy attacking them in their dreams. And none of us talked about it. It came about later on at dinner the next evening. People began to talk about it. Oh, wait, I, oh, wait, I, I, oh, oh, no, I. And we kind of began to put it all together. And there were three people who had very clear dreams and images of this guy attacking them in their dreams. Others here in this congregation may have experienced the non-physical world intruding and invading the physical world. Some people may call it uh, experiencing UFOs and aliens. Other people may uh, refer to it as ghosts or uh, witchcraft of some kind. Maybe uh, as a teenager, a kid, an adult, you used um, Ouija board or a tarot card. Uh, in, in my last pastorate, I had a young couple who had just been married, and the husband called me, and he said, uh, my wife, we were doing some business stuff, and my wife is using tarot cards to figure out um, what to do in our business dealings. Is that okay? Um, Um, so people really do this stuff. People really do use um, these things to make decisions. I was born in New Orleans. And if any of you have ever been to New Orleans, it's pretty creepy. Because as you're walking down the streets, you'll see not just palm readers, but you'll see shops that like have um, voodoo and stuff and hoodoo and things like that, that you can go and interact with and um, stuff. Noah, would you please bring me my water that's over there? Don't want to get creeped out, but my voice is feeling kind of scratchy. <sighs> oh. Joke's on him. I've got a bunch of Presbyterians here that are ready to pray. We may have interacted with um, with various uh, things that promise us information and power uh, from mysterious uh, places. Uh, people who have interacted with ghosts usually do so to learn about the past. You're interacting with someone who has died in the in the past, and you wanna you wanna talk to them and learn about where they buried the treasure or something like that. Uh, folks who interact with uh, witches and things like that, they want power usually in the present. They want some type of, of spell or enchantment or something that will help them with something going on in the here 
and now. Sometimes it's related to the future because some of them specialize in scrying, reading tea leaves and things like that that applies to the future. But the vast majority of it applies to the present. And then there's another category of the supernatural that you can label it any way you want. In modern times, we label it UFOs and space aliens. But in ancient times, they labeled it in a variety of ways. And it was about learning the future. It was about using forbidden means to gain information about the future. And in this case, people who interact with the aliens that visit them and things, they find out technologies. They find out about secrets, about how to travel really fast. They find out about what our uh, race needs to do in order to stay alive and, and not hurt ourselves. Um, they find out all sorts of information that promises to help us out in the future. And all three of these things can, if they're real, because there's a lot of stuff out there that's just fake. There's a lot of stuff out there that is um, authentic and real. And when it is authentic and real, it can be very perplexing and stunning and scary. Imagine how it felt to be Moses in Egypt and to see uh, the magicians of Egypt trot out and start doing miracles that rivaled his own. You have to know that was shocking and unnerving to him. Paul talked about in his own day that Satan would use in 2 Thessalonians 2.9 all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve to promote their lies. We see different religions even today uh, that, that claim that. The apparitions and the healings associated with the Virgin Mary and healings done in the name of saints uh, and folks like that associated with the Catholic Church. These signs and wonders are done in order to establish the authority of a false church. Going back to my own upbringing in rural Mississippi, there were things that people did that we didn't call the occult. But I don't know what else you call it when someone takes a stick and goes out and uses a stick to find water. I mean, they call it water witching. You would think we could have picked up on the clue. Um, and, and there was this other thing that I saw people do when I was a, a really young kid where they had a string and it looked like a top at the end of it. It was a plum is what it was, uh, a manual plum. And they would hang it over a pregnant woman's belly and use it to tell what the sex was based on which way it circulated, it, based on which way it, it spun. Now, we didn't call that, no one called that magic, except they did, I did hear the phrase granny magic once, which sounds like a movie that you'll be seeing on Netflix next week. I mean, that's, but we didn't think of it as bad. We thought of it as um, 
Well, I don't know what we thought of it, but we didn't tell the pastor we were doing it, that's for sure. But whatever you call it, the Bible says that it's not unusual, both in our culture and in cultures around the world, to experience the impact of the non-physical world on the physical world, particularly when you're looking for it, particularly when you're seeking it out and intentionally trying to discover information that is hidden behind the normal physical realm. Now, at our text today, in our text today, Paul lists 10 possible nemesis, 10 possible enemies that might appear to separate, to be powerful enough to separate God's people from his love that is demonstrated to the church through Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of these are about the occult. When we read neither death nor life, angels or rulers, when we think about the abode of the dead, even in our culture, we start thinking about things like the headless horseman. And we start thinking, and they had their own Greek and Roman mythology about the abode of the dead and what they would do and what they could do and that you could go to hell and then come back and you would cross the river to do that. And you had to, they had a whole set of ideas about what that meant. And what Paul is saying here is that the whole series of of thinking and thoughts you have about the abode of the dead that has been taught to you through this invading culture of the Romans, that's not the way it works. You don't have to worry about putting coins on the eyes of your Uh, family members when you put them in the tomb so that they'll have a coin to pay to cross the great river to get past Cerebus, whatever it is. Paul talks to angels. He says that angels can't stop you from the love of Christ. Well, why would angels stop you? Because he ain't talking about Casper. He's not talking about friendly angels that serve the Lord. Casper's made up, by the way, uh, kids. But he's not talking about friendly angels that are God's messengers that are going out and doing his work. He's talking about the bad ones. And he's saying here that it's reasonable and rational for you guys in the church to think that these bad angels could interfere with the love of God that comes to you through Christ Jesus. But Paul says, they can't. Rulers here that's spoken of. The word there is archon. And sometimes you have to look at the context of how archon is used. Often in the New Testament, it'll be used to refer to, refer to a normal king. So that if you see a proper name and archon next to it, it's talking about that guy. That's not hard translation. But when it's by itself, 
You have to look at the overall context of what's being discussed. And thus, when you look at the King James Version, the New King James Version, and other translations like that, they translate that principalities. Principalities. That is, it's a reference to the rulers in the heavenly realms that mean you evil, that mean the church harm. Powers, that's used here in the text, is sometimes referred to as human power. Acts 8.10 is a good example of that. But there's a lot more references in the New Testament. And you can find this in my notes if you've got the email. To paranormal power. 1 Corinthians 15.24, Ephesians 1.21, 1 Peter 3.22. These are just three of the obvious ones that power is referring to supernatural evil power. And in this case, they are no match for God's protection of Christ's followers. Height, well, that refers to the mountains, right? No, height is an astronomical term here. It's a term used in astronomy, and there was no difference between astronomy and astrology in their worldview. When they looked up into the heavens, they thought they were looking up into the heaven. And so the lights that they saw, the moving objects that they saw, they believed those had spiritual entities behind them. They believed that those lights that they saw were good angels, bad angels, a whole host of angelic beings. Now, they're right. Are they wrong? I'm not speaking to that. But I'm speaking to that this reference of height is an astronomical term referring to the heavenly realms, and they definitely believed that there were angels there, good and bad. And in Paul's case, he's saying those bad ones can't hurt you. Depth is also an astronomical term. It refers to the horizon and what's below it. They would be out sailing. They would be out walking in the desert. They would see stars and things rising from below the horizon, coming up. And that's, that depth is the word they would use to describe that place below the horizon where the heavenly bodies and entities lived and where they were coming from. Does a lot of this uh, heavenly astronomical, astrological information, is he referring to some kind of UFO activity that happened during Bible times? Don't know for sure. But whatever it is, there is clearly no place that Paul perceives that is not subject to God's monitoring and ultimate control, and there's no place from which attack can come that God cannot protect us. Clearly, the Apostle Paul believed that the church of his day was under the threat of attack from evil supernatural beings. And in the text today, he states quite clearly that while they may threaten the church, 
They cannot do any real lasting damage to believers. I'm going to summarize the next section of my message for time's sake. But for those of you who got the email this week, you've got uh, a transcript of this sermon already. In the book of Acts, there are four key situations where demonic entities are involved. And in every one of them, it's either clearly talking about affecting Jewish people, people who were a part of the covenant community, but who weren't born again, who aren't labeled as Christians, or it's unclear. Now, there's a group of Christians out there who think that gives them permission to then say, oh, that means Christians can be possessed, and that means Christians can be taken control of by demons. But that's an argument from silence. And I think we're going to see in the text today that indeed Christians are promised to be protected from these forces. They counter, though, what about Saul? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, 18, and 19, we see the story of Saul, who clearly had an evil spirit indwell him and cause him real problems. The question they asked at that point was, are you saying that Saul is an unbeliever? I don't know, but... I'm going to use New Testament eyes to look back on that situation and say he probably wasn't if he's possessed by demons, just like Judas is spoken of. There's one other story that they will cite that's from Luke 13, where there's a woman who has a sickness for 18 years that causes her to be bent over double. And it explicitly says in verse 11 of chapter of Luke 13 that the spirit is identified as Satan. Advocates of Christian possession cite that she was a believer because she's called a daughter of Abraham. But we Presbyterians know that there is a, such a thing as being a part of the covenant community and yet not being a born-again believer. There are children in our midst, especially, that have been baptized, and yet they haven't made a profession of faith. They haven't, as far as you can tell, been born again. And that would be an example of people like this who are a part of the covenant community and yet have not received the waters of baptism, have not publicly professed their faith in Christ. And then the story, of course, of the seven sons of Siva, which uh, is, is, is in my other notes that I have, where the, the Jewish uh, exorcists attempt in this dark comedy situation, attempt to cast out this demon. And we show, it shows there in that story that not only can Jews be possessed, but they can also be resisted in terms of their... Uh, exorcisms. But what about today? What is Paul telling us about today? We understand a bit about how the original audience would have understood this. 
Hebrews 1.14 says that there are ministering spirits sent out to render service to the elect. Psalm 34.7 tells us that the angels of the Lord encamp around those who believe in God. Psalm 91, 10, and 11 says that God gives his angels charge concerning us, guarding us and keeping us safe in all of our ways. Now, that's pretty encouraging. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And not only does God give us angelic help, but he is sovereign over what Satan can and cannot do. We know that from the book of Job, and we know that from our text today, that Paul is convinced that nothing will be able to separate us who are in Christ from the love of God. Not these fallen angels, not these rulers, not these powers and principalities. 1 John 5.18 tells us that the evil one cannot touch those who are born of God. We have to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Well, Pastor, I had this experience. I'm going to use Scripture to interpret your experience. Yeah, but I had the experience twice. I'm still going to use Scripture to interpret your experience. And what John says here is that the evil one can't touch those who are born of God, that are born again. It's 1 John 5, 18. And so we're going to use these clear texts like this and Paul's clear teaching today to guide us through some of the really strange experiences that we can have. Why does the Bible, the New Testament, go into all these details about demons and, 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 and uh, the occult? Because it's true. Well, pastor, I've heard about this, but this stuff only happens in Africa and Asia and the Dominican Republic and things like that, right? That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. Congratulations. If Satan were to have his greatest wish answered, it would be that at the end of this sermon, you say, like the publican standing there Thank God I'm an American, and therefore I don't struggle over these. Oh, thank the Lord I'm white, and therefore I don't struggle over this kind of stuff. I'm, I got a master's degree. Thank the Lord I've got a master's degree. That means that I don't struggle with any of this stuff. That's the opposite of what the Scripture says. The scriptures seem to speak as if there are things that are non-physical in our world that can bring harm even to people who are in the visible church, but not to those who are born-again Christians. The Jews weren't immune to this, and I don't think we are either. We saw from their kings like Saul to the lowest part of their society was ravaged by demonic 
activity. This means that most certainly we can see this activity in our culture and even in the church since we have people in our church who aren't born again, who haven't received the Spirit of God. Satan can and will send demons to non-Christians to torment them, to harm them, to do the things that you see happening in the New Testament. Just being American is not going to protect us. Being Presbyterian doesn't stop that. The cure, however, to this real problem is not denial, which is what we've tried so far, nor is it some extravagant production. You don't need crosses and holy water and priests and YouTube videos showing you how to do it and special clothes. You must be born again. That's what the scripture says repeatedly is what addresses this. So when you're, if you're concerned about this activity, then what you do is not go Google up all the problems and research and call a Catholic priest or call somebody over here, talk to somebody about it. No. Here's what you do. You go to your pastor and your elders and you say, I'm not born again. And proof of it is I'm being horribly tormented by these things I can't see. And I need your help. I need to be born again. The cure is very simple. Pledge your life to God. Give your all to Him. And that is what changes your relationship with these demonic entities. Now that, of course, raises the question... It's complicated, but of course I'm going to talk about it. Of that there are some illness, mental illnesses that simulate this. There's some mental illnesses that involves dialogues with things that aren't there, either mentally, or you're able to hear them, or you're able to see them. Now that presents an interesting situation. There's most of us here shouldn't take mind-altering drugs like psilocybin and those things like that, that make you see and hear things that aren't really there. That you shouldn't do that. Because it would be sin for you to open yourself up to the non-physical world like that. Historically, in the scriptures, in other cultures but especially in the ancient Near Eastern culture of the Bible, people used those types of drugs in order to put themselves in a certain state that they would then contact demons and ghosts and things like that. We are forbidden to do that by way of being forbidden to participate in witchcraft and sorcery. In the New Testament, in the Greek, the word for witchcraft is pharmaceutica. Pharmacy, does that sound familiar? That's because these two things overlap in the scriptures. That this type of drug use 
that it enables you to see and hear and touch things that aren't really there is witchcraft. It's all intermingled with that. There's another group of you here, however, that need to take certain medications or else you hear things that aren't really there. And it's sin for you not to. It's sin for you to not do, to follow your doctor's orders and therefore experience these events that you and I don't know whether they're demons or not. Who knows? But it's sin for you to goof around with it to find out. It's sin for you to manipulate your dosages and hide your pills under your tongue and spit them out. That's sin just as it's sin for most normal, most of the folks here, to take that stuff that makes you have these experiences. It's sin for you to not take the medications that enables you to have those experiences if you don't. That's a very complicated issue I just got into. And you may have some more questions about that after my sermon. Please ask me. But... Putting yourself in a mind-altered state, whether by taking certain medications or not taking them, bad. Don't do that. A couple other practical points as we come to a close. People, people's minds start racing at this point. What, 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 what kind of stuff are you talking about, Pastor, that puts us in contact with, with the, 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 the non-physical realm? Well, it's not rock and roll. It's not computer games with supernatural themes or Dungeons and Dragons. It's actively trying to pierce through the veil and discover knowledge and information and have conversations with other entities. That's what I'm talking about. The price of opening the doors to communications with the other world is heavy. It's dark. And you don't get that by playing a video game where you're shooting demons. That's not at all what I'm talking about this morning. It's sin to place yourself in a situation where you don't know who you're talking to, can't tell who you're talking to, aren't in control of what they're saying to you. Don't do that to yourself. It will cause you long-lasting fear, and Jesus can and will rescue you from it, but it will have long-term consequences. I repeat, the cure is Christ. Not Catholic ceremonies, not special prayers the Pope prayed, not singing certain songs, not wearing a cross. That's just a cult, thinking that wearing a certain kind of medallion can ward away demons. That's a cult thinking. That's not Christian thinking. If you're a Christian born again, the evil one cannot truly harm you. That's what the text says. If you are not a Christian and you're concerned about this, then become a Christian. 
well, I'm going to go buy a, a really big cross. That's go- No, that's not going to fix it. It's coming to Christ humbly and giving him the whole mess of your life. That is what changes you from a target to an impregnable fortress that Satan cannot touch. If you think you or anybody in your family has experienced things like this and you want to talk to your pastor or your elders about this, I hope that this sermon has helped you understand that you can and that you won't be made fun of and that that we'll listen and we won't think you're crazy. We'll work through and talk through this with you and our answer to what's wrong won't be crazy either. We'll pray with you for Christ to come and his spirit to come. We may anoint you with oil, but that's about it. Because that's what the Bible says to do. And I believe that is the safest thing to do in these mysterious situations. Let us pray. We do thank you, Father, for sending your spirit this morning, opening up your word to us, challenging us with the plain teaching of Scripture that we're taking seriously this morning. And as we take it seriously, we ask that you would flush from our minds a lot of the lies and confusion that's there on this topic. And that you would help us to soak in and believe the truths of Scripture that have been discussed today. And that when doubts come, when fear creeps in, we would claim Christ. And Christ alone as our advocate. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And God's people said, Amen.